is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in on this Tuesday, November the 7th, 2023, to the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. Also, the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365 YouTube channel, which you haven't already. We would encourage you and uh, be delighted if you'd go on over and uh, hit that subscribe button and that thumbs up button as well. Craig Smoke, uh, Sikkim365.com writer, also 365 Sports Radio host, uh, joined as always by Grayson Grunheford, Hayford, Director of Broadcasting for Sikkim 365. Got Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well. And this week we were going to talk uh, about uh, yet another game coming up on the schedule, but another game behind these Baylor Bears in football that uh, is a loss on their record as they now move to 3-6. and six. So uh, we'll be talking some Houston and getting into the Kansas State game that's upcoming as just three weeks remain not just in the regular season, but in the season for this team. I think that's pretty safe to say at this point. We'll also dip a little into basketball uh, as the season kicks off later tonight for Scott Drew and the Baylor men. But uh, 25-24, the Houston Cougars roll into Waco and get uh, their first win over the Bears in a couple of decades. Uh, this matchup having not been played for a couple of decades and the first time meeting up in quite a while, but also doing so as Big 12 conference mates for the very first time. And this game delayed by a couple of years after a quick uh, setup to try and get these two uh, a game in during the COVID year that resulted in the equipment trunk from Houston making it here and subsequently a cancellation at the very last minute that ruffled the feathers of Dana Holgerson. So he was able to roll into Waco finally after a long wait, and his football program got a big win as they still have bowl hopes alive now at this point with three games to go. Uh, but as I mentioned for the Bears, three and six, they would have to win out Grayson to make a bowl game, and they get K-State on the road this weekend. So I'm going to go ahead and say that I think uh, we can go ahead and extinguish bowl hopes as quickly as this weekend. Yeah, I think so, too. And even if you don't want to just do it this week, and I mean, at TCU and then West Virginia at the end of the year, you might as, I mean, they're not winning all three of those games. So, I mean, yeah, it's pretty much over. And, I mean, we're at the point right now where, you know, a lot of the talk has been geared towards the off season, even though we're not even there yet. Um, three more games left. Um, we'll see what happens. This was a very disappointing one, as we're going to get to, uh, and one that really felt like that's a game that you lose when you're a bad football team. And they were playing a bad football team, and they still found a way to lose despite outplaying Houston for large stretches. And any advanced metric you really look at, they outplayed Houston for the most part. Uh, I know Stats of War on Twitter pointed to that as well. Um, but bad teams find ways to lose games. And when you score zero points in the first half against a really bad defense, this is what happens. Yeah, so let's go ahead and get into Houston. We'll knock that out first and then get into a little bit of a preview of Kansas State. And like I said, some basketball. We'll also answer your mailbag questions as well on this episode. Uh, so let's dive right in. And, um, you know, not a lot to highlight there in the first half, honestly. But as you mentioned, just bad teams find ways to lose. And I think this was a prime example of that. Another slow start, which is just um, it's unbelievable that that could even be a phrase that we're still using at uh, this point in the season. But that's kind of the... Uh, I guess the the gist of it all is that it, this is just kind of the same thing 
different week, and if it's not one thing, it's another. But Baylor opens the uh, the game, Grayson, with a 12-play, 43-yard try. Like, oh, 12 plays. Oh, 43 yards. So 12 plays, you go 43. Okay, that's fine, but it had to have ended with points in that case, right? Nope, uh, it ends in a missed field goal right out of the gates for this football team. So what what is it to be uh, an early lead and perhaps a uh, 3 nothing lead? Uh, Isaiah Hankins from 49 yards out. Uh, this attempt is no good as they found themselves in a 4th and 22 situation. So uh, <laughs> not good numbers right out of the gates and not a good result on your first drive of the game. So like I said, slow starts. Uh, right uh, right uh, from the very jump here. Yep, came out, ran the ball well. Blake Shapin uh, had a nice run on this drive. Dawson Pendergrass gets 11 yards on first down to the Houston 20. So you're kicking a 37-yard field goal from there. And instead, they end up trying to kick a 49-yard field goal due to penalties, due to being a bad football team, and it's blocked. I, and I trust Hankins to make a kick that's within 37 yards, even though I know we're going to get to that in a minute as well. But uh, a really tough start because they actually did start strong. They moved the football, mm-hmm. just couldn't cash in once again in the re- near the red zone. Well, the uh, the prevailing theme, too, of, of all the, the various thoughts about this football team is the inability to finish yep. is strong uh, at the top of the list of reasons. The lack of execution, uh, and especially in areas inside the red zone. Even finish individual plays. True. Like just a play at a time, even. They they don't finish those. It, yeah. It's been tough. So they got all the way down, as you mentioned, to the 20-yard line. And uh, just to give a little bit of uh, more detail here, you immediately get a uh, penalty offensive holding on uh, Barrington, uh, that backs you up from the ten, or for the excuse me, from the twenty to the thirty. Uh, Blake Shapin scrambled, got nothing. Then Gavin Byers, a false start, so two penalties within three plays of one another. When you got to the twenty yard line and you were moving and the drive was going, and then you have these penalties. The next thing you know, you're backed up to the thirty five. And then Dominic Richardson can't get but like three yards, and then now you're at the 32, incomplete pass, and there you have your 49-yard field goal where at one point you were at the 20-yard line with first first down to go, and uh, that you end up 12 yards back and missing a field goal from 49 yards out. So just a uh, an ugly way to finish the opening drive, and you can kind of feel like, all right, here we go again at this point. Um, but hey, the uh, the clock was running. They had taken a lot of time off the clock, and next thing you know, uh, Houston's got the ball back. They go three and out. Baylor gets the ball back. They go three and out, and that was the end of the first quarter. Right there was the missed field goal, and then each team exchanging a three and out, and it was on to the second quarter at this point in time. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I know what Houston's driving the ball at the end of the first quarter, right? And then that's kind of where we leave it off going into the second. Right, so yeah. So the first quarter ends with it being 0-0 after uh, Baylor uh, punts the ball back. Houston gets the ball. They go on a 10-play, 63-yard drive that does uh, get into the second quarter. And uh, this ends with Donovan Smith getting all the way down to the Baylor 15-yard line. And he gets intercepted by Caden Jenkins at the 2. So they were threatening big time. But Caden Jenkins with another interception, his third of his freshman year. He leads the team with a trio of picks now at this point. And so a little bit of a of a life here uh, as they cut off the Houston scoring threat. Yeah, and I, I mean, Caden Jenkins has been so good all year long. I know he's had some freshman moments here and there, but in general, he's been, he might, I mean, he, you could make the argument he's been their best player, their best overall player. So, um, yeah, very impressed by him. Great stop here. Yeah, they were going to have to kick a field goal anyways, but to hold them to zero points, that's a great spot to be. You felt good with Baylor getting the ball back too because they're running the football. It seemed like Baylor was getting at least some momentum moving it, even though they hadn't had the ball a ton. 
So they get the ball back from the interception. They're able to go 10 plays and 36 yards before they are forced to uh, go for it. Uh, near midfield, uh, barely, I mean, didn't even get to midfield, quite frankly, but uh, took a bunch of plays to get close to midfield. And then with a fourth and six uh, on the line, they elect to go for it at the Houston 43. Blake Shapin steps back to pass, and in a sign of just everything else this year, he gets sacked for a loss of 13 yards on third and six, excuse me, on fourth and six. And so Houston gets set up at the Baylor 44-yard line with a first and 10. Yeah, and this is a big play for a couple of reasons. So first of all, it was third and eight. Baylor elected to run the football, which made sense to me. They had been moving it, so you try to get, you know, five, six yards, with Dave Rand, which Dave Rand alluded to this week, and then you get a fourth and two, much more manageable. But my issue is, is later on in the press conference, he mentioned, you know, felt like the defense was playing well, and so in overtime, we were going to rely on them, right, instead of going for two. Um your defense had been playing really good. I, I just sometimes I don't understand why you wouldn't punt this. Fourth and six, that's a lot of yards for a team that hasn't been, you know, piling up the yards. Why not try to pin them deep? This was pretty bad because not only do you not get it, you lose 13 yards. So Houston starts with the ball in the 44 yard line. Just a tough spot to put your defense in. Yeah, and uh, this point is still 0 0. Um, I mean, let's just go gloss over the fact that they would scoreless in the first quarter as they continue to score points, period. But uh, that is notable, as we'll see moving forward here. So uh, Houston gets the ball, and they're like, hey, thanks for the, the favor. Uh, thanks for the welcome to the Big 12 gift, giving us the ball so deep in territory. We're going to take that three plays, 44 yards, and Donovan Smith will throw a 26-yard touchdown pass, and it'll be a 7 nothing Houston. So thanks, a little pat on the butt, and uh, we'll kick it back to you here in a second. Yeah, nice post route by uh, Sam Brown against Chateau Reed, I believe. Good throw, too. Yeah, I mean, it. It felt like Houston was going to score right when they got the football just because of Baylor's bad decision in my eyes. So it's 7 nothing Cougars. You're feeling like, oh, boy, uh, at this point, it's getting into the second quarter and closing in uh, about, about the halfway point. Gaylor, uh, Baylor gets the ball back, and uh, they will proceed to go three plays and two yards and punt the ball back. It was uh, uh, Blake Shapin, negative two on an opening pass to Monterey Baldwin. Dawson Pendergrass run for four yards, and then Blake Shapin gain of zero yards on the pass to Dominic Richardson. So just a, just a ball of laughs right there. Um, so they punt it back rather quickly. And uh, Houston, to the Baylor defense's credit, forced to punt on their own three and out, uh, thanks in part to a false start penalty that helped move them back a little bit. So uh, they end up with a third and 13 only able to gain nine yards, and they end up punting it back on fourth and four. So Baylor with the ball back. They got to stop. It's still only seven to nothing. They go on another lengthy drive, but you'll notice they're taking ten plays to go less than half the field multiple times already in the first half. It's like ten plays, 40 pump, you know, 43 yards, ten plays, 46 yards. And the common uh, theme at the very end doesn't result in any points whatsoever so 10 plays they get a third and four they convert on that uh they end up with a you know another first down they get into a second and six they get into a third and 14 though as a uh, Blake Shapin gets sacked once again you would thought that Houston's got Ed Oliver back there um like the glory days um but eventually third and 14 uh he hits Josh Cameron for what looks like a massive touchdown as we are just less than a minute to go until halftime at this point the game just zooming on along and uh, what looks like it's a, a massive play for the Bears to tie the game up right before the half gets reviewed. And uh, as it turns out, 
Um, he was bobbling a little bit out of bounds ish, and they, uh, you know, I know there's there's debate on what was actually seen on the video and on review, but for the officials, they overturned the touchdown call, revolt, uh, and uh, and say that it was an incomplete pass. So Baylor now with fourth and fourteen. And uh, Isaiah Hankins from 38 yards out to try and at least get them on the board. It was the first one was blocked, right? Yeah. This one just missed, and they will uh, give the ball back to Houston with uh, 39 seconds to go in the half. So just a, a bad string of events where you had a touchdown, it gets overturned, then a field goal, it's missed, and you're still sitting there at zero points, and that's where you will be at halftime. Is Houston would throw an interception right before the half, and you would go in at seven to nothing. So, your thoughts at uh, after this whole sequence of events here? Yeah, I mean, so the first kick by Hankins was blocked, but I, I do feel like when he kicked it, it looked low. So, I think it was partly his fault as well. This one was just a shank. I mean, he just completely missed it, which hasn't been commonplace for him all year. But it was huge for Baylor to not get points here. I also feel like. And this is what happens to bad teams. Can can Baylor get a call at home? Like, I, I understand that it was close, but, like, it was called on the field a touchdown. You had to have indisputable evidence. I didn't see anything on TV that was like, he is for sure 1,000% out of bounds. Whatever, they don't get it. They miss field goal. I mean, it's a huge swing of events there, and it could have been a lot worse had Houston scored. So, once again, great job by the defense. And had the defense not been put in such a tough situation on that one drive, Houston might not have scored, and maybe Baylor would have gotten the ball in better field position and scored. So, again, that that one play really stands out to me. But good job by the defense getting off the field once again. Yeah, so at halftime, it's 7 to nothing. You got shut out by Houston. <sighs> You got shut out by Houston, um, and they're not a good defense, in case you were wondering no. about that. Um, they're so a worse defense than Baylor. For Baylor fans out there, they're like, Baylor's defense is terrible. Houston's defense is just as bad, and Baylor scored zero points. Crazy. So their first half uh, on offense was missed field goal, three and out punt, 10-play, 36-yard lose over on downs, three and out punt, 10-play, 43 yards, missed field goal. That is atrocious, man. That I mean, you talk about execution and, and those types of things, and that right there is um, a first half that's just like, what happened in 2023? Here you go. Just just watch this, and it'll give you a little glimpse into what the what the season was like. And um, you get into halftime, though, it's only 7 to nothing. I mean, it's it's only 7 to nothing. but uh, Houston is getting the ball to start the second half. They go 14 plays, 67 yards, um, end up with a bunch of you know conversions along the way, a bunch of first downs, and eventually uh, get into a fourth and ten situation, all the way down at the Baylor fourteen yard line, and they are forced to kick the field goal thirty one yards out. It is good from Jack Martin, and is ten to nothing. Houston about midway through the third quarter at this point, yep. as they soaked up a lot of time on that drive, and so it's already halfway through the third quarter, and it is ten nothing Cougs at this point. Yeah, and this this was a weird kind of phenomenon that happened was Dana Holgerson out here taking time off the clock. Yeah, not something we've seen from him really ever during his coaching career, but he did in this game, and honestly, it, it really did pay off for Houston in, in some regards. Well, I mean, having a two score lead with the way the offense had played, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, like, yeah, like he's he's looking at the clock, he's. Like, like, shoot, man, we're just wasting time. They're not going to have enough time to score. Right. I mean, they're taking like six minutes to go 43 yards and 10 plays and not even score. So, I mean, we get up like 14. This game's over with. So it was 10 nothing. but Baylor would finally uh, respond. An eight-play, 75-yard drive. Their first score of the game comes with less than four minutes to go in the third quarter as Blake Shapin 
has what double reverse trickeration flea flicker, um, 38 yard touchdown pass to Drake Dabney, his reliable target there at tight end. And, uh, they are able to score on uh, first and 10, the trick play and, uh, had to pull that one out of the bag to ensure they got some points on this drive, I guess, but it is 10, seven and, uh, everybody breathing a little bit easier knowing that, Hey, it's at least a three point game once again. Yeah. And Baylor finally did what teams have done to them all year. Second and 24 and Blake Shapin's able to hit Josh Cameron and then hit Jake Roberts on that kind of, I guess you'd, I don't, I don't even know what you'd call it, but it's like a midline screen and they've been running it quite a bit this year, but they ran it to a tight end and Jake Roberts this time. And he gets 13 yards first down. And then, like you said, the play to Drake Dad but um, a tough drive with a lot of big-time throws by Blake Shapin, to be honest. Probably his best drive of the game outside of the final drive. Yeah, I mean, he had some good moments. It's just that they couldn't string much together. And they and couldn't block for him They could again. not block for him to save their life. I mean, from the very outset of this game, he was on the run, yeah. no time to throw. I mean, they were getting just bowled over, and it was, it was like a three-man rush. Right, <laughs> just and no like, Keytron Jackson, too, yeah. so it's like it just it was tough. But he still managed to – he played pretty well. He, I, I like. thought he yeah. played a fine game. Yeah. I mean, all things considered, and I mean, we're grading on a little bit of a curve here nowadays, right. but right. I thought he played – he wasn't the reason they lost the game, no. that's for sure. Um, so it was uh, now what it was I had a 10-7 football game here. They're able to force a punt. And uh, we're already in the fourth quarter. I mean, getting to this point, Baylor's got the ball, 12 plays, 69 yards, but they still they cannot finish drives with a touchdown. So they get all the way into uh, Houston territory and deep into Houston territory. And the, probably the most frustrating um, you know, sequence of events here is to get as far down as you did down to the Houston two-yard line. Second and two at the Houston two-yard line, Richard Reese – uh, gets tackled, but uh, it's a penalty. Oh, no, what's this? Hawkins Polly, the freshman tight end, holding call, brutal. Backs you up 10 yards. It's now second and 12. Inexplicably, they get a delay of game immediately afterwards. I don't know if the clock didn't reset or what happened there, but it's you can't get the holding call, first of all. You can't have a delay of game right afterwards. And so now what was second and two at the Houston two-yard line is now second and and 17 at the Houston 17-yard line. Dude, That you cannot do well, that. Even worse, I, I'm sorry, but whoever decide, hey, you know what, let's start running the wing tee, which we have <laughs> not ran ever during their time at Baylor. They've ran this year a couple times. It has not worked once. It is not a, I don't understand why they're not just, hey, you know what, maybe just under center or out of shotgun, we just hand the ball off to our running back on, what, second and two, it was baffling, and that's where they got the holding call. Yeah. Running this stupid wing T formation that doesn't need to be ran. Just line well, up and play football and not do things that you haven't done really at all since you've been a Baylor. Did, I, it made no sense to me, and it cost them. Did they run that play on the previous play for Richard Reese? No. No, yeah, it wasn't where wing gained, T. Where you gained eight yards? No, exactly. <laughs> you gained just, eight yards and got you to the two. And just then, turn around and hand the ball off to Richard Reese or yeah, Dawson man. Pendergrass and get out of there with a touchdown. Instead, you line up wing T, you get a holding call, and it completely screws you over. I, yeah. Overthinking. That's just where, completely overthinking. That's where I was like, is this where Richard Reese doesn't get to play? Was it like his fault that he took yeah. too long to let the play develop or something? No. And, and it's like, no, it's like he had just gained eight yards the previous play, and then you do. You have Dawson Pendergrass. Just run him at the two-yard line, but instead... It's a holding call that's followed by a delay of game call. So, like I said, second and two at the two is now second and 17 at the 17. Uh, Blake Shapin throws an incompletion. Then Dawson Pendergrass runs for seven yards. 
Could have done that at the two-yard line, too. Um, and that's uh, not good enough. It's still a fourth down and ten, so you are forced to kick the field goal. And this time, Isaiah Hankins is good from 27 yards out, so his first connection on the day. And you tie the game up, but like you don't feel good about it because it should have been a 14-10 to 10 game. And uh, the fact that it wasn't and, and the way that it wasn't is just emblematic of what we've seen for a large part of the season. So um, you think, okay, well, it's 10-10 to 10 now. Um, but like this defense does, um, they give up a drive right afterwards. Five plays, 75 yards. Could not have looked any easier, I mean, quite frankly. And that was really disappointing of, like, just the, the, the playing off of each other and all that. It's like, boom, you finally tie the game up after all this struggle, and then you just give up the easiest touchdown drive uh, known to man right afterwards as uh, Donovan Smith just chucks it for big gains, and eventually uh, he throws it to uh, – to Mathis, uh, 24-yard touchdown to Terrence Mathis, and Houston regains the lead. Boom, just like that, it's 17-10. to 10. Yeah, third and six, too, and it just goes over Garmin Randolph's head there in the corner of the end zone. Um, yeah, I mean, you give up a touchdown drive, and here's the deal. I mean, neither of these teams have good defenses, so it was pretty much just a matter of time till Baylor was going to start giving up points to Houston. And really, I mean, Baylor moved the ball throughout the game against Houston as well. So you kind of knew that you were going to have to score eventually. I think that's what made that drive where you're on the two-yard line so frustrating because it's like you know Houston's probably going to move the football. Like this right now is kind of an anomaly, um, and they give up the scoring drive. Well, you went from taking the lead potentially to then just tying it and then giving up the lead and not just a field goal but a touchdown knowing how hard it's been for you to score a touchdown. So, like, it was just a bad whole sequence of events when it should have been a big thrilling like hey we're up 14 to 10 and now it's you're down 17 to 10 so it's just it's just bizarre um so um things get worse real quickly uh, Blake Shapin with a bad decision first play of the following drive picked off and uh Houston's got the ball at the Baylor 29 yard line and you're thinking like this is over now like all they have to do is score and this game is over and um, to the defense's credit, I just if they had done this a drive earlier following their score, it would have been a, a different story maybe. But um, Houston's only able to get 14 yards on six plays and eventually settle despite starting the drive um, deep into Baylor territory. Uh, they are forced to kick the field goal from 43 yards out. It is no good on fourth down and seven, so... Uh, the Bears remain alive at 17 to 10 here, and uh, just a Houston mistake uh, leaves the door open when it should have been, you know, them closing the door, quite frankly, after the big turnover. Yeah, and lots of Baylor fans left after Houston got this first down, thinking the game was going to be over. Yeah. But uh, a big miss. Great job by the defense again, at least forcing a long kick, uh, forcing them to have to make a play. And once again, Houston being a bad football team, they're like, we don't want to win this game either. Right. Let's, let's let Baylor win this game. It, it was, yeah, I mean, they missed the field goal, and Baylor gets the ball back. So less than three minutes to play in this game. It has not been a. It sounds competitive at this point. It's been competitive, but not in the great kind of way that you're thinking of. It's been more or less like, you know, just who's going to make the least amount of mistakes. Really, is what it turns into. So, uh, seventeen to ten, and it's a uh, an amazing thing to watch as Blake Shapin puts on his Superman cape and directs a eleven play, seventy four yard drive in a little over two minutes that uh, sees him convert uh, the play of the year, maybe. Certainly would be if they had won this game. But on a 4th and 17, he scrambles for 27 yards. How? I still don't really know. Um, but picks up the first down and uh, keeps 
all hopes alive, and eventually uh, that results in uh, several plays later, them finally breaking through uh, and finishing the drive off with a touchdown as Blake Shapin throws a one-yard pass to tight end Hawkins Polly. He had had the big penalty earlier in the game, but redeems himself a little here. His first career touchdown for the freshman tight end, and it is 17-17 to with 29 seconds to go. Boom, just like that, snatching overtime from the, the jaws of defeat, I suppose you can say. And, um, yeah, Houston um, just ready to get into overtime at this point. Uh, they would run out the clock, and uh, and you're headed to extras here. Yeah, unreal play by Blake Shapin. The only play that's better than that this year was the Caden Jenkins fumble return on the road in Orlando. Yeah. Um, but that was just superb. And at one point, you see Josh Cameron like 50 yards downfield waving his hands because he's open as Shapin's running around. I'm like, I don't think Shapin can throw it all the way over there. And you're like, okay, so what's he going to do? He just took off, scooted. What? I mean, just... Fantastic run. Tons of heart for him to drive them all the way down the field and score a touchdown here. Fantastic. If this guy gets some help going forward in his career, if they get an offensive line and the and upgrades at wide receiver and you know all of that, I think he can be a really good quarterback uh, at Baylor. One thing I do want to mention here, I felt like they should have gone for two on this drive. And I, they've been ultra-aggressive all year long. You score with 29 seconds left. It's clear your defense is not playing great. Your offense has had the upper hand for the most part in this second half. I just, I guess I just didn't quite understand why they weren't the aggressor here, and instead they allowed Houston to be, be the aggressor in the fourth quarter, I mean, in overtime. I, I don't know. I felt like this was the perfect opportunity for to go for two in the win. Uh, well, I mean... Uh- I don't know. When you get the ball first, I don't like going for two first because if you miss it, then all the other team has to do is kick an extra No, no, point. no. I'm talking the fourth quarter score right here. Oh, okay. To, to go up 18 to 17 and yeah. win the game. Yeah. That's when I would have done it. Not the okay. first overtime, for yeah, sure not. Like, no, no. <laughs> but this one, I would have. Why not? Okay. What, what do you have to lose? Well, put, put the ball in your quarterback's hands. They didn't. The yeah, they didn't. And so it goes to overtime. Um, Baylor on the first possession, four plays, 20 yards, because, uh, of course, all it is is 20 yards, although Houston would just prove that wrong the very next drive. Um, but 20 yards, Dawson Pendergrass, a one-yard score, and uh, they strike first. Uh, they kick the extra point, and it is now a seven-point lead, and, of course, now you've got to go play defense. But because on that extra point, Houston got an awful uh, leaping call, uh, they get actually backed up and have to start their drive at the 40-yard line. So that's a break, man. That's Hey, your defense now has a lot more room at its back, and they just have to get a stop here to win the game and uh, just not give up a touchdown. Um, but one of the easier drives you'll ever see. Um, Donovan Smith uh, to Sam Brown, gain of eight, scramble for four, um, scramble for nothing, false start, backs him up. You're thinking, okay, it's second and 15 now, but uh, he hits Sam Brown, gain of 19 yards. Mathis, gain of six uh, all the way down to the uh, the Baylor eight, and then Donovan Smith scrambles and scores and um, sets up the big decision. Dana Holgerson decides to go for two, and you see them spread out that Baylor defense, and it was so obvious what was about to happen. It was just like you – nobody didn't know what was about to, to happen the way they were spreading the defense out, and sure enough, Donovan Smith keeps it right up the gut, untouched, scores on the two-point conversion – Houston walks it off in overtime, first time ever at McLean Stadium, first time meeting in the Big 12, and they strike first with the uh, renewal of this rivalry, and uh, 25-24, your final in overtime, Houston beats Baylor. Yeah, Garmin Randolph got held on that play, but 
whatever. I mean, it's the last play of the game, and you know, they it was obvious what was going to happen. And Brendan Beck got pushed five yards into the end zone, and it just it was a really tough way to lose it. But this is kind of what I was talking about with that fourth quarter. Why you go for two is because it was very clear that the offenses were probably going to have the upper hand in overtime. And so you had your opportunity to, to end this game. And I think if this game goes on, it's a bunch of touchdowns for both offenses. Like, the defenses look gashed, look like they were done. Um, but instead, Houston made up for what happened against Texas. You know, Dana said, I would have gone for two had I done it. Well, he kind of proved he would have gone for two in that situation. He did in this one. And Houston gets a huge in-state win and a win over another original eight team. Yep, so uh, that shows, you know, the, the difference right now, Texas very much in the playoff hunt still in the Big 12 title hunt. They couldn't do it against them, but uh, they did it against Baylor, and uh, now they jumped them in the standings. And the Bears only, uh, you know, have to thank UCF and Cincinnati for being slightly worse. Otherwise, they'd be at the very bottom of the standings right now. If this were the old Big 12, they would be at the very bottom of the standings. It's just those two new schools that are, um, you know, keeping them from being at 14 out of 14. So, you know, that's a bummer. Another loss at home, Grayson. They're now 1-6 and six, uh, with one home game to go here in a couple of weeks against West Virginia. They will not be favored to win that game. They might be coming in off of a pretty heavy losing streak at that point, depending on how the next two road games go. But they are going to hit the road for a couple starting this Saturday in Manhattan. As we said, they have to win out. Um, they're three touchdown underdogs going into Manhattan, um, and they would have to win out. Uh, which is not going to happen. So uh, bold dreams uh, dashed with that Houston loss. Still technically alive, but I mean, let's we're all being realistic here. We're all adults. Um, it's slightly above zero percent chance, like as in point zero zero one percent chance that they could make a bowl game at this point. So that's off the table. I know they have to think otherwise, but um, that's that's part of what you have to do in their position. So um, yeah, uh, one and six at home will probably be one and seven. Very much staring at a losing streak to end the season. No bowl game. And, uh, you know, Dave Aranda, you know, talking with Smokey yesterday about a lot of the changes that they're already thinking about making and the different approaches and all that. But it all, you know, just rings a little hollow right now because, you know, there's been a lot of talk and there's been very little results. And I don't know how much better this team is than when we first saw them at the beginning of this year. And I know that there will be elements of it that, a football coach would see and be like, yeah, they're really improved here. Their technique on, you know, whatever. And that's all well and good. But when I'm just as a, as a person watching, I can still tell what bad football is and how it all adds up into losses. And this was a prime display of just like a lot of bad football and a lot of the same mistakes they've been making all year long, all taking place once again and uh, resulting in a loss to a team that's just not a great team in Houston, respectfully. And if Houston had lost, I'd say the same thing for them. You know, I'd say the same thing if the shoe was on the other foot because neither one of these teams are very no. good. But, I mean, for the fact that you let this new booty roll in to your stadium and beat you, and really they beat you the entire game, and you made it a game there at the end, and then you get into overtime and have a flicker of hope and then still lose, it's just like, man, the comedy of errors and just the – the, the just constant throwing of like how much salt can we get in this wound is uh it's just mind-boggling at this point yeah and I mean they have two wins against Houston UCF and Cincinnati and the score differential is like plus three yeah in, in those three games and yeah you can say they could have should have 
won this game against Houston, but they didn't. And now you're two and one against the new schools. Not a great look. Uh, that's your only two conference wins against UCF and Cincinnati, who just literally played this past week to become not winless in the league for yeah. UCF at least. So it's been extremely disappointing. Uh, like you said, they're probably going to be one and seven at home this year, which is, I mean, that is, it, it's so bad. I mean, their only wins over an FCS team, and they didn't even play good in that game. Mm-mm. And so I, I just I don't know what you're going to hang your hat on. I will say, you know, the Super Bowl is now that TCU game. Like, I expect them to get blown out in Manhattan this weekend, but I do think, you know, that TCU team is probably not going to make a bowl either, and that's probably going to be the Super Bowl for both those teams. Um, but, it, uh, you know, as far as the season goes, it's a lost season. It, it is what it is. Yeah, and uh, I pointed this out. I don't want to keep throwing more salt in there, but, you know, I, I said this yesterday on the show. It's one thing if you're not, like, a nationally relevant top 25 program every year. Like, they're just, you know, there's going to be years where you're you're not that. But they haven't even really been in the mix since they were overrated to start last year as far as being in the top 25. And they very quickly, like, they kind of maintained it early on and then it fell away and they haven't even sniffed the top 25 since. But that's okay. Like, you can't always be in the top 25. That's fine. Um, that's part of the deal here. But then you get into the fact that, like, they're not even competitive in the Big 12. Um, okay, you're not going to win it every year. You won it a couple of years ago. But you're only not in last place because of two teams who just played as you said for their first win in the conference just this past week in week 10 Um, and you rallied in the fourth to beat the team that did get their first win at their place you held off the other team at their place so you beat both of them on the road but that's the only thing preventing you from being at the very bottom of the big 12 standings and so okay you're not going to be competitive every year but you're not even competitive in the league this year no so you're not competitive nationally you're not competitive in the conference. All right, let me boil it down to this. All right, you're not going to be competitive in those things all the time. You're not even competitive in your own state, Grayson. You have lost to Texas State at home. You have lost to Texas at home. You have lost to Texas Tech at home. You have lost to Houston now at home. And the only way you don't go 0 for 5 in the state of Texas is to go and beat TCU in a place that you haven't won in a while. You couldn't even win a bowl game in last year, not against them. You never beat them at this point. So you're right. We'll see what happens against TCU. But you're at best, you're behind Texas State and Houston at this point in the state rankings with losses at home to those schools. Um, so not to mention you were embarrassed by Texas Tech and Texas, like blown out yeah. by both of those teams. So, well, And I think that's the big thing. It, you know, the teams that were part of the original eight, I mean, they have gotten – they haven't played a game that's within 12 points. Right. I mean, the closest game was Iowa State, and they lost by 12. And now they're going to get three more tests in which, you know – you got to show some signs here of something, of fight. I felt like they fought in this Houston game, but it just was one of those things. They're just not a good football team. So, says, like, how much does fight get you? Yeah, it at says this point? Dave Aranda said to uh, Smokey, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, you, you can fight and it's fine to fight, but at this point, they just have to win. Yeah. And, and he knows that. And, you know, whether or not it's too late, I, I don't know. But um, let's talk Kansas State on the road. I mean, uh, there are three touchdown underdogs here, and obviously, would love to have more of a positive slant, and I know players are playing hard and all that, but you can't ignore the actual results, and this past weekend was brutal. I mean, you could tell by the crowd. Um, you could tell by just the, the feeling coming out of it. So now they get at least to go on the road uh, where they've been better, and they've actually grabbed a couple of those wins that we were just talking about, and 
you know, uh, what are your thoughts on a Kansas State team that uh, is coming off of a loss to Texas here? Yeah, I mean, Baylor is still undefeated on the road. As of right now, they are undefeated on the road. One of the most fraudulent, weird stats you could possibly point to. And now they're going to Manhattan, and they're facing a team that runs the football extremely well, which is a huge problem. They have quarterback run game, which allows them to put another blocker uh, when they're running the football. And Will Howard and Avery Johnson are both really good runners of the football. And now you're expecting Baylor to to get stops or or you're hoping Baylor's going to get stops against the run in that game? I just find that so hard to believe. I mean, I, I just think Kansas State's probably going to run for 220, 230, maybe 250 yards at home. And then that's probably going to lead to something like 35 points. And then you look at Baylor, are they going to score 35 points on the road against Kansas State? No. I mean, if they score 17, that would probably be a decent day. You know what I mean? And so it's really hard to see them winning this game based on what we've seen from Baylor um, through the entire year. I I think what Dave Aranda said was very key here. In my eyes, you're going to have to play a lot of single coverage on the outside, and you're going to have to put eight guys in the box. And you're going to have to do everything you can to stop the run and then force Will Howard in this passing offense to beat you. If you can do that, you'll have a chance to maybe create turnovers and maybe put yourself in better, more advantageous positions as an offense. But if they can't do that and they're ran over, this is going to be a blowout, just like it was for Houston and TCU and really Texas Tech the three weeks before K-State lost to Texas. Yeah, and uh, K-State can hit you on the ground game with a couple of really good running backs. They also, Will Howard can run a little bit, but if they decide to throw Avery Johnson in the mix, I don't know who's stopping him. Uh, If he wants to go run for six touchdowns, he could probably do that against Baylor, given his athletic ability and given their problems against the run, and especially against the quarterbacks uh, with a bit of running ability. So Kansas State could actually throw a couple of different pitches at you and um, and still strike you out multiple different ways uh, if you're this Baylor defense. And that is definitely a concern. Uh, they've been putting up a lot of points. They had 38 against Tech, uh, had 41 against TCU, 41 in a shutout of Houston. Yeah, they just beat that same Houston team we just saw. They beat them 41 to nothing in Houston. Um, and then the 33-30 overtime loss to Texas where they really just – uh, that was frustrating from a yeah. Big 12 point of view. But uh, let one get away there in Austin with a very bad start and then just uh, inexplicable lack of execution there at the end of the game. Um, so, yeah, they let one get away there. So they're going to be ticked off and uh, at home and knowing that at 6-3 and three and 4-2 and two in the Big 12, they have, like, no room for error whatsoever to get a good bowl spot. But even just kind of keep their very – Slight hopes of getting to the Big 12 title game like they have to win. So I'd expect a statement and a very strong showing from the Wildcats, which does not bode well for the Bears by any stretch. Uh, but actually, maybe good that they're on the road because if this yeah. was at home, I think I'd predict an even worse score. I know probably. the way the season has gone yeah. for sure. I, I will say, you know, K-State defensively is good. They're not great, though. Um I know against TCU and Houston, they only gave up three points, which is magnificent. But if you look at some of the other games, like Texas Tech hung 480 yards on them. Oklahoma State, 412 yards. UCF, 407 yards. Missouri, 430 yards. Like, there is room to move the football against Kansas State, and Baylor's going to have to. Baylor also needs Keytron Jackson back. That was very evident in that game against Houston. They... Could they just? I know Josh Cameron played well, but the rest of the receivers really suffered by not having Keytron out there. I think he opens up a lot of things for Monterey Baldwin. Um, 
they really need him back for this offense to, I think, actually hope to put up some points against Kansas State. But I do think there's opportunities for yards here. And Blake Shapin's going to have to play a really, really good game, uh, similarly to how he played against Cincinnati and UCF, for them to you know potentially score in the 20s. Um, and they're probably going to have to at least score, like, if they want to win the game, they're probably going to have to score 31 points. I don't think they can score 31 points on the road, but I'm saying that's what they'd have to get to. But I do think Baylor could score 20, and that's if everything goes really well for them. Let's see. Yeah, they scored 30 against Long Island. They scored 36 in, you know, UCF game and 32 against Cincinnati. That's the three times they've cracked. Uh, well, they scored 31 and a loss to Texas State. So they've done it four times this year. Right. It, it's asking a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think that there's almost no way they're winning this game. They're also a 21-point underdog. So mm-hmm. picking them to win this game is pretty foolish. Picking them against the spread, eh, maybe. But I, I think, again, it'd probably be a backdoor cover where they score late or whatever to, to make it close. But, again, the bigger thing is growth here. And there is going to be opportunities for them to move the ball The problem is they haven't shown consistency in that regard, and when they've gotten to the red zone, their inability to finish is pretty baffling. And defensively, I just don't quite see how they're going to stop Kansas State consistently, uh, which means they're probably going to score in the mid-30s. And now special teams isn't even a given, whereas a couple weeks ago it was a bright spot, but all of a sudden, for whatever reason it may be, you know, blocking or just execution on kicks – uh, now it's gotten a little wonky. You missed an extra point. You've got a field goal blocked. You've missed another field goal. So um, that's suddenly off the rails a little bit um, ever since that award. And so that's that's a bummer. And uh, hopefully that can get back on track. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a difficult little uh, journey to Manhattan this week. And we remember the beatdown last year uh, in Waco. That was just the um, – yeah, just the, the game that you didn't see coming, I think, in many ways. That's when the spiral really started, didn't it? I mean, I think with just how lopsided that blowout was where you're kind of expecting, oh, it's a ranked team, and there's it's at McLean, and it's at night, and then they just rolled in and just obliterated the Bears uh, and left, I think, everybody leaving that night feeling like, oh, God, what just happened like to this program in so many ways? It was such a, a tail kicking, and I don't think they've ever still quite recovered from that. Yeah, and I, I talked to Garrett about this earlier. I do think that when you go back and look at that Kansas State game last year, I do think it was a bit of a hangover spot because they had just gone on the road and beaten Oklahoma for just the second yeah. time in program history. And you then show up the next week and you get blown out by K-State. But I think the thing that I really look at and go, hey, but they didn't quite give up on the year was they showed up the next week and took a team that was the national runner-up down to the wire. I think it might have been the TCU game that that kind of has. just it, It's just, I think, hurt their confidence to where even when they play better than the team in front of them, it's still hard to win football games, and it doesn't guarantee you're going to win games, and we just saw it again, honestly, this weekend. Yeah, so I um, uh, heard Dave Aranda, his, his press conference. I found his conversation with Smokey interesting. I, I wrote an article about it. Check it out if you'd so choose. Uh, really highlighted and focused more on kind of the talks that he had about the changes, uh, getting more money in NIL to tweak the roster. Now, part of this article, I realize, is going to set people off of like, why is he talking about next year like he's going to be here? <laughs> Well, I mean, until he's not going to be, that's what he's going to talk about. I don't know about you. You, you know, I think that uh, you plan on having a job until you don't have it. And right now in his spot, it's either get ready for next year or, I mean, just yeah. wave the white flag and leave. And he's not going to do that. So, you know, in talking about next year, uh, talking about getting more NIL money, um, still, I think, admitting that they've made some mistakes with this roster. 
Um, and, you know, NIL is not a cure-all, but uh, they do probably need that to not just go and get players like they did last year, but to get better players uh, out of the portal or in recruiting, if at all possible, more impactful players. Um, you can go get 12 guys, but if none of them are really doing a whole lot, then it's it's not that different than just having a – you know what I'm saying? Like a regular recruiting class. So I think they realize yeah. they got to bump up and get like some stars, like some, mm-hmm. some difference makers um, this time around if afforded that opportunity. And they've got to basically re-recruit all of their guys and continue recruiting all of their high schoolers and their – uh, various prospects, and the on top of that, so basically he's he's focused in on NIL. Um, he's focused in on re-recruiting their own guys that are already on the team. So I'd imagine like, hey, Caden Jenkins, like come into my office, please. Let's talk about next year. And uh, locking down the recruiting class they have, and also, yeah, like re-recruiting their entire team because he knows and he acknowledged that when you're losing, people are going to come after your players. So they're recruiting from like every North, south, east, west, they're having to look behind their back and, you know, behind the, the curtains and, and, and just try to maintain this roster and then also improve it at the same time. So that's part of the challenge and all the while trying to finish out this season and, and try and get a win to give them a little bit of momentum going into the offseason to make that effort easier and say, like, look, here's something that's positive because right now they roll into the offseason on a massive losing streak, what are you pointing to? So they desperately need some positive energy and a win or two or three would be great. But uh, they they're, they got their work cut out for them as far as uh, improving this thing and, and getting it on track. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. I, I mean, they absolutely do, and I think it's very clear they could have used – I mean, I know you're saying higher quality guys. That, that's great. They could have used more guys in general too. Like, oh, sure. How, how many uh, just older offensive linemen, just bring them in. That would have been nice because they just they have not blocked all year long. Um, yeah, th- this has just been uh, uh, an area where they're going to have to get a lot better if Dave Randa does remain the head coach at Baylor. The managing of the roster, which I've mentioned ad nauseum on the board, along with talent evaluation, like I don't know how you could have sat there in the spring and then in the summer and felt really good about the group that you had. And based on what we saw, just the Texas State game, the first game of the year, it was very clear that it wasn't going to work, like that there were problems with this team. And it's just continued and continued and continued, even with adjustments and things like that. Um, This team just hasn't been very good. And for that reason, you know, they're going to have to change their approach in that regard, uh, of course, if, you know, Dave Branda does come back. Yeah, and he's very well aware of the pressure that's uh, out there right now. He's very well aware of the conversations and the talk about his job and, you know, everything else. And so he's trying to just keep his head down, be aware of it, but not let it overtake his mind or anything and, and, you know, disrupt the normal day-to-day. And uh, just going to work and, and hoping to, to break through and get some positive momentum. But he, he's well aware of the situation. And, you know, he's got to talk and, and plan as somebody who's planning for next year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, like, he knows that they need to look good at some point here down the stretch and, and have something, some glimmer of hope to hold on to. So, um, you know, this is, this is the, I think he referred, I mean, he referred to, it's a business. And he knows it's a business, and this is the business of college football, as you would like it to be about person over player and things like that. But ultimately, it does come down to winning. And he did mention, too, with the person over player stuff. Read the article, folks. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a work in progress as well. And even admitted, like, they could probably be a little bit more lenient in certain things as far as accepting people, you know. Like, you can't have a blemish in your life and still be able to come to Baylor. You know what I mean? yeah. And, and so there's a lot of, of things that they're working through, and it all sounds good, but will he have the opportunity to enact any of it and, and use any of that uh, me, that 
revamped method. Um, and, you know, will, will that opportunity come? We, we don't know. We'll see here over the uh, next few weeks, that's for sure. So uh, you want to check that out. Some interesting thoughts from Miranda, who's, who's very much a guy seeing the bigger picture right now and, and knowing all of the outside chatter, just in case you thought he was oblivious and just going on about his business not paying attention. He very much knows all of the negativity. It's just that they can't sit there and dwell in it uh, right now with three games to go. So um, on to K-State. We don't really need to break that down further or anything like that. I did want to make mention real quick that, uh, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but they did release the new football scheduling matrix for the next four football seasons, 24, 25, 26, and 27 in Big 12 play. And we can spend more time on this in the offseason when we have more time for something like this, but I will at least make mention that we do know the opponents, Big 12-wise, for the next four years, barring more changes in realignment and whatnot, but... Uh, Baylor next year, let's just focus on that. Road trips to Colorado, who will be back in the Big 12 for the first time uh, in a long time. Texas Tech, Houston, Iowa State, and West Virginia. So you're going to Boulder, Lubbock, Houston, Ames, and Morgantown um, for your road games next year. And then your home games next year, just four of them. Uh, You will get uh, BYU, TCU, Oklahoma State and Kansas as your four home conference games next year. And that Baylor-TCU game, one of just, what was it, three protected rivalries or was it four? four. I think it was just four protected. Yeah, Arizona-Arizona State, Baylor-TCU, BYU-Utah, and... Yeah, Arizona-Arizona State. I just said that one, oh, didn't I? Uh, um, Arizona-Arizona State, Baylor-TCU, Houston, I mean, uh, BYU and, and Utah. Those are the three that I know Kansas, of. Kansas, Kansas Oh, yeah, Kansas, yeah. Kansas State. And then Farmageddon was not one Gone. of them, which ticked off a bunch <laughs> of people. But um, TCU and, and Baylor will remain an every-year rivalry. So your thoughts, uh, let's not – we'll worry about the others at a later date. Yeah, qu- quick note here. They still have the September 14th matchup at Utah, which technically yes. would not count as a Big 12 game, even though Utah is in the Big 12. So really weird yeah. circumstances there. We'll see if that changes. I don't think it's going to, though. Um, it, it doesn't appear so, that no. way. Um, and then Tarleton State and Air Force are at home. But, yeah, uh, it's a tough schedule. I mean, Ames and Morgantown, those are tough places to play. Lubbock, um, tough as well. But I am happy that they keep TCU as a you know locked-in rival for years to come. And then also they play Texas Tech three of the next four. So I know they're not getting the full-on every year butt bowl rivalry, but at least they're getting to play them pretty much much every year and I think that's on purpose yep and then uh like I said there's three more years of schedules but uh that's that's for yeah. later on so uh just cool to see that but again you are they gonna is there gonna be more changes at some point like does college football fall off a cliff and you know I mean who the heck really knows by 26 and 27 what the world looks like in general much less college football but we do at least know that so there's that as well anything else football wise here before we touch on uh the opening of basketball season no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it, it's. I know we're both gonna pick Baylor to lose this game. It, it's been a long season. I do want to mention just really quickly the floor of this program is kind of one of the things that's been the most baffling this year. It's like when you see Dave Randa, you saw the ceiling, the twenty twenty one team, but you kind of thought the floor would be six and six, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the worst that they would be in any given year. And last year, that's what they were. Had opportunities to be better, but they weren't. But then this year, it's like. You're not just bad, but then you look at every advanced metric, you're just really, really bad. Mm -hmm. And it's your four, but it's more so about the fact that that's your floor. 
Like, this is the reality of what could happen if things go wrong in a year. And that's tough. That's tough to watch. And this year has been tough to watch. And they're going to have to regroup quickly. And that leads me to the point of what would they have to do next year to make Baylor fans happy, whether it's with Dave Rand or with a new coach. And that's the hardest part for me to envision is, like, when I look at that schedule we just looked at, like, if Baylor goes 7-5 and five next year after what they did this year, that's a good year. But I don't know if the fans would be happy with that. I don't know if the fans would be cool with seven and five or six and six next year. And if you bring in a new coach and say he goes five and seven against that tough schedule, what then? Are you just out immediately year one? So just a lot to think about there, a lot that I've been thinking about just moving forward because it's really hard to go from this bad to being a really good football team in a year. Like yeah. a really good football team. Like you can be okay, you can make a bowl, but to push up to eight or nine wins, like that's going to be tough. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no guarantee the next guy would be a success. That's for sure. Um, you have no guarantees that G.J. Kenny or whoever, whatever yeah. name you want to throw out, um, there's no guarantee that they would be successful. Um, so, you know, that's not just to like, oh, well, that's all we need to do is just change head coaches. I mean, there's, there's nothing there to say that that's a move that's going to – uh, absolutely work out for you and in fact it could get worse there is there is more of a, a bottom that you could go you could have less than three wins right now um, although th- these these have been so particularly bad this this year that it's it is hard to figure out how they could go further down but suppose there is room to lose three less three more games um, or win three less games I should say uh, but yeah I, I don't know and I, I do think there is a middle ground that is more of where minds need to lie it's not you know, three and six or ten games, you know, in the victory column, right. there is a middle ground there. And I do think that if you won like seven games next year, that would be a phenomenal turnaround. It would be depending on the style in which you did it. Right. Like that, I think that's a part of it is there's been such a lack of style with all of this that mm-hmm. it's just been so ugly to watch. Whether Even if it's been a win, it's been like hard to watch it or it's been eking it out at the very end. Like there's no just like go beat a team and then move on. Yeah, everything's a drama, you know, everything's a last second deal. So, yeah, I don't know, man. That's a good question. I'm sure that's what Mac Rhodes is sort of weighing as well, among other decision makers and just pondering the future and what that looks like. But it's not good when you're rolling in Manhattan against a three loss K-State team and you have a less than five percent chance of winning, according to metrics. I mean, there's home field advantage and then there's just you're not even getting the respect of having like a 5% chance of pulling out a victory no. against a three-loss team. I don't care who it is on the other side. That's just a sign of how far you've fallen and not a sign of how great K-State is. Um, that's just um, – you're not very good right now. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know what the, uh, the turnaround is or how that comes about. But let's go to basketball real quick because last night uh, the Baylor women did kick off their season – and uh, the Baylor men are getting their season kicked off later on uh, tonight as uh, hoop season gets fully underway. And this is something that uh, should be a nice change of pace from uh, football. Although, you know, got to win games in basketball too. But the women beating Southern 85-53. to 53. Uh, Drea Edwards with 20 points on a 9-10 of 10 shooting night. So uh, the number 19 Bears uh, led by Nikki Collin now 1-0 on the year. Uh, with the win over the Jaguars. Uh, any thoughts on that, Garrett? Did you pay much attention? You didn't, okay? Uh, yeah, me neither. I, I mean, it's a it's a win. Yeah. It's a good start. They're going to be pushed soon, and so we'll get to see a little bit more about what they're about. I do want to mention, though, because it is important that we mention everything that has to do with Baylor, is no. that uh, LSU lost by 14 points to uh, Colorado to open their season. So 
Didn't yeah. need to mention it as an important nugget. Yeah, they did. Um, and I and I understand where you're coming from, but man, if that's where you're grabbing victories these days is by others' <laughs> losses, then I think that speaks to just sort of where you are in general. Because it's kind of like early in the year. Well, at least Texas Tech lost. At least Joey's not able to brag about you know their their big winning streak or something. It's like yeah, that makes you feel good until you're like not making a bowl game and. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I was just scrolling through oh, and I just know, saw I know, that they I, lost. No, I know, but I, like, hey. I, I do think that, though, that also is a sign of just the coping mechanisms that we're having to resort to to be like, it's not so bad. They lost, too. But I know, I know exactly where you're coming from. But, yeah, it's a nice win for Baylor, and yeah. they're, they're gonna, I think they're going to be better this year. Oh, yeah. and I, I think we're, we're going to see it early. This wasn't, like, a, the greatest performance ever, but it was a nice one to start the year, that's for sure. Yes, it was. And uh, now tonight, Baylor men... Uh, before we get in the mailbag here, they are opening up their season. Uh, big matchup with Auburn at the Sanford Pentagon um, as uh, they get to play in that cool venue uh, out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So the big debut, number 20 uh, to start the year. Are the Bears? Auburn is unranked, but a big SEC matchup here starting at 8 o'clock on Maine ESPN. Uh, they'll also play on Thursday against John Brown. Uh, at the Farrell Center, and then again on Sunday against Gardner-Webb, also at the Farrell Center. And uh, remember, there's Farrell Center dates running out here over the next few months. It's the, the swan song for that building as, as, as the main home of Baylor basketball. So um, some of your opportunities coming up here, these early home games, to, to catch a game there at the Farrell. But uh, your thoughts on Auburn tonight in the big season debut? Yeah, I mean, I think Auburn's a pretty good team. They're going to be a borderline top 25 team all year. Ken Palm coming into the year has them at 16th in the country. So this is not, and they have Baylor at 9. So just to put that in perspective, these two teams are better than their rankings. This is going to be a really fun game. Auburn, very athletic. I have a really good player in Johnny Broom, who I think is going to give Baylor some problems early in the season. He's 6'10", long, lanky, big athlete. Um, averaged 14-8 and eight last year, two and a half blocks. He's going to be a good player for them and is going to give Baylor some problems. Um, I think Baylor's big advantage, though, in this game is the guard position. And so Ray J. Dennis, this is a great opportunity for him. Uh, Jacoby Walter as well. Uh, if they can kind of get those two going, I think it could mean really good things. But I'm just curious to see this team kind of come together. Lots of new faces, new parts. Uh, after kind of seeing a team that was very similar for a few years in a row there, kind of getting to see a little bit of a shakeup with transfers and some young guys. So it'll be a fun start to the year, but a great challenge, I think, uh, for the Bears. They're actually an underdog, a one-half-point underdog mm -hmm. that I saw. So it's going to be a very uh, entertaining game, but I actually do think Baylor will find a way to get this one um, in a great game. It should be very close and in a very fun venue as well, like you mentioned. All right, so uh, excited to get that tipped off, and uh, we'll leave it there as we get into the mailbag here to close it out this week. And uh, start off with Darth Mellon. Are you okay with a random firing coordinators at this stage? I don't think he should get another coordinator change and get to keep his job. As many on this side have discussed, you are eventually the only man left in the room still standing. I mean, I'm okay if he stays. I mean, if the choice is for him to stay, then you let him do what he needs to do. I mean, that that's how I view it. I mean, if you're going to say, I mean, obviously, if you fire him, he's not making a coordinator change. But if you keep him and he says, this is what I need to be successful, I mean, yeah, you're going to do it. I mean, it's kind of a last-ditch a last effort because next year he's going to be on a very, very hot seat. So might as well let him try to figure it out. So I, I'm cool with it, again, if you decide to keep Aranda. Yeah, uh, if that's what you decide to do, which, again, is uh, we don't really know what direction that's all going to take here over the next few weeks. Uh, I'm not quite sure anybody's sure at this point. But, um, yeah, I, I, if you're going to keep him, you got to be open to changes and whatever that entails. But uh, he did use, you know, kind of his 
uh, his free card, his free pass with, uh, you know, the initial firing uh, after, gosh, Larry Fedora, that failed miserably. And then last year, obviously, with the defensive side and the defense is struggling, and that's your expertise. And so, yeah, where do we go now? I mean, who are you going to fire that's going to make a big change to to what's going on? Alfonito, is your job satisfaction fulfillment affected by the performance of Baylor sports teams? Mine is. Mine is for sure. I mean, a part of it is recruiting, um, which winning helps recruiting and just, you know, overall. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, it it is. So it's very disappointing to see them perform like this. Yeah, I mean, I try not to let it be too much of a a part because it's out of my control, but uh, I definitely will say that uh, covering winning teams is way more fun than covering (laughs) losing teams. Hands down, bottom line, not even a question mark. So, yeah, when they're making a Sugar Bowl run, a lot easier to come in here and roll in here and talk about the team and get excited about it when they're losing to Houston in overtime at home to move to three and six. And when you've been to McLean Stadium, which for us, are, and I know people that go watch the game as well, but when we're doing pregame too, it's all day. It's all Saturday. It's, all, it's like 10 hours. Um, being, we're, I'm at the stadium every week. I'm in the press box every single week when they're at home. Um, so it's, it's very much a job going to do it. And I know there are way worse jobs. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, not trying to make it out to be too big of what it is, but when I'm spending that much time, it'd be nice if it was a fun product to watch. And when it's not, you're spending all that time and it's a brutal thing to watch. And it just adds up every week and you're just like, geez, Louise. So yeah, it affects your, it affects your fun levels for sure. Um, but still love the job and all that Marine bear. You and Craig both said last Tuesday, if we lost to Houston, Major questions will need to be asked and changes to be made. With going into this week with that loss, what exactly should be done at this point and what can be done to save the Baylor football brand? I mean, there's nothing going into this week that is going to change anything. I mean, the only questions that you have are going to be at the end of the year. I, I just think you're you're kind of what you are at this point as far as on the field. For so sure. I don't think changes need to be made. I don't think... I personally don't think you should fire Aranda mid-season. I mean, I've gone and looked through when coaches are hired, and for the most part, it's fired after the last game, hire someone within the next, like, 15 days. That's how that typically works. I know people are like, oh, you you should get started now. I'm like, dude, guys are in the middle of their season. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're not really getting great phone calls right now. I, I just I don't see that being something that they should do. So I would just let them write it out, and then at the end of the year, Mac has to make the decision on – are we riding with Aranda or are we moving on? That's the only changes that can be made. And the only way to save the Baylor brand is to make that decision, be comfortable with it, and then hope that it results in positive rewards. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can do midseason. We're past midseason. Nothing you can do this late in the season to really change what's going on with this current team. This team is what it is. They're going to finish the way they finish no matter what changes are made. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I think if, if it's keeping Aranda, then obviously you've got to go heavy on NIL probably. Uh, heavier than you have uh, you've got to make some kind of staff changes and I you know that's where it starts to get really personal and I don't really want to delve into yeah. that man until the time comes honestly uh, because there are real people with real jobs and families and paychecks and all of that on the other side of this as much as we probably just blank that out sometimes and these are just names and things um, there is that element to it when the time comes I'd be more than happy to talk about those specific things that occur but I don't want to be like, they need to fire the tight ends coach and, you know, all of that kind of jazz. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know what what can save this thing right now, honestly. I, I don't know if it, you need to clean house entirely um, but or if it's something that's more of like just a couple tweaks here and there. Um, but I, I will say cleaning house entirely also doesn't guarantee anything. It just means that you're starting over again with somebody new, and that could be the very same result in the end. So that's that's the the hard part about all this. Or one, 
part of the hard part about all this. Master Pierce, uh, MPH, first there was info going around from Christoph Henley, former player, saying that Aranda and staff are only letting first and second team players get record, get uh, get snaps, get snaps, practice reps. This is normal to some degree, no? Do you have any insight into this idea, rumor, and how it may or may not affect the product on the field the past two years? I'm, I'm in the dark on this. This was the biggest no-deal tweet and information ever. This is so normal at every single school, but I think people took it out of context as in, oh, the third stringers just, like, don't practice. They just don't do anything at all during practice. That couldn't be further from the truth. They go through every single drill that all the starters and all the second teamers go through, and they do scout team. So they have to do a lot of these different things. But, yes, they're not getting the same amount of reps as the first team and the second team. That is normal at every school across the country. People were freaking out about this, but I think it was more so because they took it as the idea of, oh, they're just on the side in sweatpants and, like, not practicing at all. That is not what was happening here. It happens everywhere. It was the biggest no-deal tweet I saw, and it got so much overreaction from so many people. Um, yes, that is not a huge thing that's impacting them uh, on the field or in at all, at all. It happens at every single school. Yeah, glad I missed all that. Uh, second, what in the hell is going on with the running back carry count? I'm at a loss for words on how this offense is running. That that makes no sense to me whatsoever. I mean, they, uh, there was the comment about Richard Reese and how the offense isn't really set up because of their lack of blocking and all that, but then you see him the other day and he gets like an eight-yard run and then you run the funky uh, play wing tee uh, that uh, results in the holding call and then sets you back and, and so on and so forth. But, yeah, it's 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 weird to me for an offense that's supposed to thrive on running the football, and I don't do it specific types of ways, but to have a guy who was the offensive newcomer of the year in the conference be a total non-factor and, and not even get half the carries from a year ago uh, is just mind-boggling to me. Uh, I, I, I don't understand that, man. I don't care how much they talk about the O-line struggles and all that. That makes no sense to me. Um, yeah, you got to get your best players to football. And, I, I mean, I understand. I understood at the beginning of the year that he and Dominic Richardson were going to be trading off carries. We knew that. We knew that was coming. But, like, now there's three running backs, and he's getting, he's got the least amount of carries of between he, Pendergrass, and Dom. That that's crazy to me. Yeah. They got to get him the football. Yeah, they're just not riding a hot hand. It's just and they can't get a hot hand. It's right. just it's uh, it's wild. But then it's you wild. get a hot hand, and then you line up in wing T instead, just giving him the football right up the middle inside zone. Just run the football two or three times. Like ah, yeah, crazy. Uh, Scotty B, who do you think leads the team in scoring tonight for men's basketball against Auburn? I'm gonna go with Jalen Bridges tonight. I think the veteran stabilizing presence will uh, will be the guy today. Scotty B also says, anyways, let's give a shout-out to Baylor women's basketball player Sarah Andrews who passed the 1,000-career uh, point mark during the game against Southern last night in the win. So awesome. there you go. Congrats to Sarah Andrews. Clever username 99. Of all the 2022 players that transferred out by choice or not, who would have made the biggest impact on this year's team given our struggles? Micah Mescua, for sure. The other guys are non fat I know people are going to argue with me about this because they're like, Devin Neal starts for a really good Louisville team. But, like, guys, you got to understand, like, he was not going to be playing that same position at Baylor. He was a he was maybe going to play, but he and Devin Bobby were going to be rotating at boundary. I just Mike Amescu is the one that they would have loved to have had back, but there was no choice there. Uh, Al Walcott would be my second choice, but again, 
no choice there as well. So keep that in mind when talking about these things. But, yeah, he would definitely be the guy. And Lorando Johnson, no choice there. No choice there. So, yeah. Yeah, it would be great to have all those guys, except for you didn't have a choice to have those guys, right? Right. So, Burger 86, I've been watching how coaches react to players when they come to the sidelines. I don't see coaches getting into players at all. Is this the Aranda philosophy that players won't be yelled at or screamed on the sidelines? The identity with his team is so soft. So why wouldn't Aranda have very physical, intense scrimmages? Everything changed with Oak State in week two or three when Gundy put in extremely physical scrimmages. After looking so poorly, Rule did the same thing after looking so bad in the Michigan game. Yeah, I mean, that is... They do look soft. They have looked soft all year. And that's going to be something that has to be answered um, if you're going to keep Aranda going forward. How do you fix that? How does that change? Is it strength and conditioning? Is it your approach as a head coach? Is it how much time you're spending on, you know, actually tackling live practices? All those things have to be answered because this team has to take a step up in intensity and physicality next season. You're not, that's not going to change the rest of this year, though. It, it's just not. It, yeah. You are what you are. Yeah, that, yeah they are who they are, um, but they have no mean streak whatsoever. Um and, you know, I think they have fight, but it's hard to tell sometimes, right. you know, and there's probably, I think there's a lot of overthinking going on. There's a lot mm-hmm. of second guessing. And I understand that's part of like the youth and everything. It's like, man, that's also, I think just the approach must be that leads to overthinking and it leads to just not going out there, just strap up and play freaking football, man. Right. You know, and sometimes it feels like you're doing trigonometry to try to figure out like why they can't get excited. And it's, it's just, it shouldn't be that hard. Everything thing like, Things that should be really simple, like getting up for a home game, sound like it's like the most laborious task to try and pull off. And it's like, you're at home. Like a, a team's rolling in that you get to play on a beautiful day on a Saturday in front of your home crowd of the brass. It's like, what more do you need to get up yeah. for that? And it's like fourth quarter, like the alarm finally goes off. Like, oh, God, we got to play a football it's like what, the, like that part of it, I do not understand at all, youth yeah. or whatever. Like that just makes absolutely zero sense to me, and um, and that has to that has to be one of the things corrected. But I don't know how you change that. It's mind boggling. Um, so yeah, Burger. I mean, there's they definitely need to get more physical. They need to get tougher uh, mentally, physically, emotionally uh, for sure. And, and some of that will come with youth uh, growing up. But there, there's an element there that's still missing, even for the older guys. Bear for cleats, close us out. The football season's been a big letdown for the fans, coaches, and players alike. While the frustration's understandable, the decision by some to abandon the team at this juncture seems to indicate that Baylor has a large fair-weather fan base. I realize it's not everyone, but the empty stadium on Saturday sure sent a message to our team and future recruits and transfers alike. Why would players want to come to Baylor when they're seeing this kind of fan support? Always enjoy the show. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you, Bear for cleats, for closing out the, uh, the mailbag here. This is a great question. And this is something that I continue to go back to when I heard, you know, a couple weeks ago, some people on the message board were saying, yeah, I hope we lose every game. So that means you fire Aranda. And I'm like, dude, if you're actively cheering against Baylor, you're not a good, you're not a good fan. This isn't the NFL where you get the first, the number one overall pick and you're setting your franchise up for the future. Uh, I do think it's a bit ridiculous. The, the showing for that game was really bad. One thing I will say though is, um, you do have to put a good product on the field to yeah. get fans happy and excited. And if you're going one and seven at home with your one win against an FCS team in which no fans were there because it was a storm delay, I, it was just like they have not shown up 
at home at all this year to get the fans excited. That's a huge problem. It's both sides. It's the fans and the team in general. It's all got to come together. But I do agree with you with this general sense of Baylor sometimes having fair weather fans and some Baylor fans only wanting to show up when Baylor is really, really good. Baylor's going to have ups and downs. You would hope the downs aren't this low, um, but you got to be there for them because this team does need support. The coaches need support. The players, the recruits, everyone needs support for these games and for the program to succeed. Yeah, I understood the showing based on the rainstorm, the fact that I watched that game soaking wet in a press box and was miserable, and then watching the game the way it unfolded, it's like, yeah, I mean, you, when you're, most of your fan base lives outside, I understand it's different in other places. They show up no matter what, but... Um, I can kind of understand it this year when you're one and six at home that people aren't exactly like lining up to pour right. through McLean Stadium. You have to give them a product to entertain them, like you said, make it worth their while to show up and spend all day on their weekend to, to come out. But there is also very much an element of spoiled fair-weathered fans in this fan base. There is no doubt about that. Um, that feel like 10 wins is just something that should be given to them free of charge every year, and anything less is like not the standard. And it's like, do you not know the history of Baylor football? Like, did the Bryles years cloud your brain that much that you think that this is like Alabama or something? I mean, let's also be realistic. So there is a lack of being realistic, I think. There's fair weatheredness. There's a combination of things, but it all is one big toxic soup. And that's why this fan base and this program finds itself at this very strange crossroads where everybody's angry and upset about what's going on, but nobody really has an idea how to fix it. And even the solutions aren't exactly guaranteed solutions. And so these next few weeks are going to be fascinating to see how the direction kind of goes uh, one way or the other here. So, all right, thanks for the mailbag there, and uh, and that'll about do it for us here, but I guess we got a couple picks to make here. One pick, one right. pick this week. We're just going to do Baylor versus Kansas State. It's on 2 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Kansas State's a 20-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 55-and-a-half. Who do you got, Craig, and why? Uh, I'm going Kansas State uh, without a second thought. Uh, I'm going with them to um, – I don't know about the cover and all that. I think that they probably – cover um honestly um so yeah i'm gonna go k-state i'm gonna go k-state big and i just don't think that baylor has the the tools in their tool belt uh or the the attitude going into a game like this to be able to make it more interesting than than what it looks like on paper yeah i think that kansas state's gonna cover but probably barely i think there might be some sort of maybe backdoor cover i think they'll win by like 21 points that sounds about right to me which you know 31 to 10 or 34 13 sounds about right to me in this in this spot a tough loss i think for baylor this is gonna be this is a bad matchup i think for the bears Yep, so uh, two weeks on the road now. They'll head to Manhattan this weekend. Big underdogs there, as we just mentioned, three touchdown dogs. And then it will be off to Fort Worth and TCU. And that could be a game that decides a lot of things, um, quite frankly, depending on how this weekend goes as well. So all you can do is try to win and and gather as much momentum as possible. But it's, it's hard to do that when you have performances like last weekend. So we'll see what happens this week. But appreciate everybody that uh, asked questions. Appreciate everybody that's listening in general. Before you go, if you're watching on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 page or if you want to venture on over there, if you could hit like and subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate that. Thanks to everybody over on Sikkim365.com, the message boards. And if you want to become a member there, we'd love that as well. But, uh, Grayson, anything before we go here? No, uh, just, uh, again, check out Sikkim 365 Premium side. Lots of great content, especially as basketball season is rolling on. And, uh, yeah, that's about it for this week. All right, basketball season kicking off. Hopefully that will bring some some good rays and some positive energy with a couple of pretty good teams uh, in store, it appears. Uh, 
for the Bears on the men's and women's side. So, yeah, that all gets drummed up. And uh, three more weeks to go in this football season as well with a lot to discuss wins or losses wise and also off the field as well. So until next time, thanks to Garrett Ross and also Jack McKenzie. I'm Craig Smoke for Grayson Grunhafer. This has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.